Today on the podcast, Dr. Anthony Fauci. He talks to us about why he's heading up to Capitol Hill with his hat in his hand and about what will happen if that hat remains empty. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the weekly legal news podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. So it's arguable, but just barely arguable, to say that Anthony Fauci is the most famous scientist in America right now. He's been the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases since 1984, a few months before my second birthday, but he really became a household name after the pandemic started, when he became the public face of the public health community's effort to fight COVID-19. But in addition to being a doctor and a scientist, Fauci is, in a way, also a lobbyist, just like all the heads of federal agencies are. Because Congress controls the purse strings, agency heads have to make the case to lawmakers for why their projects should get funding, and that's what Fauci's up to now. Months ago, the White House asked Congress to pass a $20 billion COVID funding package, but now negotiators on Capitol Hill have that number down to $10 billion, and there's still trouble even getting that through both chambers into the president's desk. Bloomberg Law reporter Jeannie Bauman spoke to Fauci about this delay and the consequences it could have on fighting the virus. As a longtime health and science reporter, Bauman goes way back with Fauci, and I asked her whether the big guy has changed at all. So I don't actually think it's changed him as a person. He's been pretty consistent. The thing that's changed the most is just how much busier he is, right? I used to be able to call his office about a number of things from HIV, Ebola, Zika, pandemic flu, any of those different issues or just anything that he covers on a on a regular basis. And uh, he used to be able to get on the phone. They, his, his staff used to be able to get him on the phone pretty easily. Um, and now it's it's just it's 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 much harder um, because everybody wants a piece of him. So and, and so he's definitely it's not that he's less he's not less accessible because of his persona. He's just less accessible because of his schedule. Yeah. And I think even when you were talking with him, there were several times where, he, you know, he's like, oh, I got a page or someone came up to him. And like, so, yeah, it seems like he's just probably being pulled in every different direction. And he was definitely busy before. There was a few years ago where we went to do a video interview in his office and he it was about HIV and he stopped and came out and said, you know, Bloomberg is really important, but the HHS secretary had called him. So he had to he had to take a minute to take a call from who the HHS secretary was at that time. Yeah, we're important, but we're we don't quite rise to the level of cabinet levels. Yeah. And when it's your boss's yeah. boss's yeah, boss, you too. should probably take that call. So, yeah. So let's get into your conversation with him. Um, you know, it seemed like he was really concerned about this COVID funding that's kind of stalling, maybe not stalling in Congress, um, you know, moving slowly. Maybe that's the way we should put it. What's going on with that and why is he so concerned? Well, the one of the big issues is that there won't be enough money in the fall to get um, a second round of boosters for everybody if we need them. And there won't be enough antivirals available or tests. So that's the big concern that I th- it's it's a White House agenda. I think it's not just Dr. Fauci, um, Ashish Jha, the new um, White House coordinator, the CDC director, Dr. Walensky has also been pushing that as well. So I think they are pretty um, unified in their messaging that we need more funding. I called him to ask specifically what this means for NIH. We have a number of clinical trials mm-hmm. that we have either started or we are planning to start to ask important questions such as what is the right variant-specific or divalent or 
ancestral strain-specific boosters to give Mm -hmm. as we get into the fall season, the winter season, and even into next year. And mind you, it's already been cut down, right? The original request was was more than double what they're asking for now. Yeah, and it sounds like he said that the clinical trials that are underway right now will still go on even if Congress isn't able to pass the funding, but it's the new clinical trials. It's the the it sounds like the basic science is what's really going to suffer here if they don't get this money. Right. So there's they're running a study right now called Covale. And Covale is um testing different combinations of boosters. So they're looking at because right now the booster that we're getting is the same one as the original vaccine, but they have ones that are formulated for the beta variant, Omicron, Delta. And so they're trying to figure out if everybody needs a second round of boosters, what is the optimal booster to get, right? So they're running that study now, but what they're going to do, it's called immunobridging data. So it's it's not the um, clinical evidence, which is the more definitive data. And so they have the money to do that sort of preliminary immunobridging studies. But what he said was that they really need the money to do that clinical data. There's a much larger study that we need to do that is a clinical study in in which the power of the study is large enough to be able to give you um, a a clinical answer. That's Mm. a very expensive study. Mm. We don't have the money for that study. Are we talking about a universal COVID vaccine that would apply to like any variant and any variant that could come up? Is that am I like overstating that or is that what Covale is really looking for? No, Covale is just more about if we need a second round of boosters, what is the best combination to give? Should we continue to give the original one? Should we have one that's more formulated to specific variants or should we have one that combines two variants and and um, puts those together or maybe so there's, I think, maybe a half a dozen or so study arms that are testing out what that is. Um, what you're talking about is a more pan-coronavirus vaccine that they're also trying to work on. And so that would be, um, so the way the vaccines work, they kind of get at sort of the spike protein, which is, sits at the top of the virus. Um, and what they want to do is something that um, could get at more of the stem of the virus so that you could maybe come up with something that, um, protects against a family of coronaviruses, you know, like MERS and SARS and and um, several of them at once. They're probably not universal. I think they, they've stopped saying universal because that would just mean everything but something that can get at several. Yeah. So it sounds like that's that's still a ways off. But the the Covale study uh, that could, you know, determine the best mixture uh, or the the most effective uh, vaccine, that's something that's going on right now. Um, and will you know parts of it will continue without this congressional funding, but it sounds like the later stages of of that study are really up in the air if Congress doesn't doesn't pass the bill. That's right. So they should have some preliminary data that I think will be able to guide the decisions by federal health officials as they figure out what booster to get because. What I think they're trying to avoid, and this is not NIH, this is this came up in some CDC advisory committee meetings and FDA advisory committees. You don't want to have Moderna offering a booster that has this variant and Pfizer. You know, they, they do that now with the flu shot, right? Six months before the flu um, right. season hits, they'll figure out what the best combination is. And so I think they're trying to come up with something similar for um, for the second round of boosters if we need them. And it hasn't happened hasn't actually been determined that everybody will need second boosters yet either. 
Well, that actually leads me to my last question, which is variants. Uh, I think that everyone, myself included, is very concerned that a new variant will come up. We've already seen several that sort of came out of nowhere. Now we have some sub-variants, but I get the sense that's not really that's not the same as a full-blown new variant with a new Greek letter. You talked with him very briefly about this. Can you explain what's happening with that and, you know, why we haven't seen a new you know, variant, but we're seeing some sub-variants. What's going on there? It's just, I think it's just the nature of the way the the virus tends to evolve. And um, especially right now, as cases are going up and people are vaccinated and boosted, and and um, I think we won't really know is, is part of it because this, you know, this virus is so new. Well, it's, it's entirely expected that if you have a lot of circulation, a mm-hmm. virus of a particular variant, that there's going to be immunological pressure mm-hmm. to modify it and get sub sublineages. That's not surprising. In fact, that's highly expected mm-hmm. that the virus will continue to evolve to escape the immune pressure. Mm-hmm. That's different than an absolutely brand new variant coming out of nowhere the way Omicron did. Mm-hmm. So right now, we're looking at sublineages of Omicron, which is a very expected result when you have a lot of virus dynamics in the community and a lot of immunological pressure being put on it by people who are getting infected. But that's it's it's part of why it's so important to get vaccinated, right? As as Dr. Fauci says, the the virus cannot mutate if it cannot replicate, right? And so as we have these gaps, especially um, globally, where they're just parts of the world that have much lower vaccination rates, and ours is still, I think, not as high as we would like it to be, but um, parts of the world that have much lower vaccination rates, it, it leaves the us, all of us, more vulnerable to a new variant. Yeah, I mean, it seems like he is not expecting a new, you know, major Greek-lettered variant to come up any time soon, but he also di- didn't say that was impossible. I mean, that could happen, like, at any time. It's just not on the horizon. Right. Well, I guess part of it is we we don't know. Right? And so um, and that's just part of why it's so important or not part of it. it's a big why, reason why we have to get people vaccinated, one, to just to protect everybody. But also um, it does leave us vulnerable to new variants. So and we'll, and we'll see what happens. It's hope, hopefully nothing bad. But um, yeah. All right. Well, that was Jeannie Bauman, uh, Bloomberg Law reporter, speaking to us about her conversation with Dr. Fauci. Thank you, Jeannie, so much. Thank you. And that'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz. Our editor is Andrew Satter. And our executive producer is Josh Block. Reach out to us on Twitter if you have anything on your mind. We use the handle at BLaw. I'm David B. Schultz. That's B as in don't bet on the Mets. They look good now, but I don't see this lasting. Just my take. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. You don't need to be a judge to be interested in our nation's laws and legal institutions. Just like you don't need to have a law degree to be curious about the inner workings of courts, law firms, and law schools. That's where we come in. My name's Adam Allington, and I'm the host of Uncommon Law, a podcast from the Bloomberg Industry Group. Uncommon Law is where public policy, storytelling, and the law are combined. We explore big topics ranging from tech policy to free speech to race and gender diversity. So please give us a listen. You can subscribe and download today. Just search for Uncommon Law wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much.